0: It's that time, the Betting Predators podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter, Sleepy J underscore pregame. Joined here by the fantasy football guru, Chris Dell. You guys have not had a chance really to hear a whole hell of a lot from Chris, but Chris is going to take over our fantasy podcast stuff. He's going to take over all the fantasy stuff that you guys find on bettingpredators.com. You'll hear a lot about him throughout the season because he's going to be our DFS guy when we talk props, when we talk anything, when it comes to the NFL player props, he's going to be involved. We'll eventually end up talking, you know, every week. when We're thinking we're going to have more than likely probably a separate podcast to go ahead and get you guys ready for the week and then to go ahead and get you ready for your player props. So he's going to be heavily involved. Now He's going to do a lot of other things, you know, within the podcast and within the website. If you guys haven't heard much from Chris – That's because I've kind of been keeping wraps on him. You know, we've been rocking and rolling with our golf pods, MLB, and NBA, but he's really been grinding over the last couple weeks, and he has a lot of information he wants to share. So if you guys are interested in your season-long stuff or if you're interested in DFS stuff, you certainly want to go ahead and listen to Chris. He has a lot of experience. Now, he's a former sports reporter and an editor for the New York Times, Daily News. You know, he ended up covering the Brooklyn Nets, the Mets, my team, the New York Mets, the Yankees Orioles you know he covered teams in the NFL like the Giants the Buccaneers and he lives in southwest Florida he's also you know covered stuff down there as well you know and right now he kind of just took over because he said he's like sleepy I'm taking over the website he helped develop it he really put you know a lot of the a lot of the information a lot of stuff you guys see on that website is because Chris was you know he was doing it himself and you know big thanks to you know Chris for doing that for us and he's really helped us out with you know getting the podcast up and running and you know getting it out there to you know one of the things you guys were always you know yelling and bitching about you know that you wanted it on iTunes and you wanted it on Google and Chris got that done for us so a lot of things that that are going on right now with the podcast and with the website you know you guys have to thank Chris and and certainly um I think you will be eventually thanking him in the long run because he's going to go ahead and give you guys a ton of good information with that said I talked enough. You guys can follow Chris on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, At Twitter, you guys can follow him at Mad Journalist. That's M-A-D-D, journalist. That's with two Ds. But I've ranted and I've gone on long enough. Chris, why don't you tell everybody, you know, what your plan is for the Fantasy Podcast and the Betting Predators website?
1: Yeah, no, definitely, Sleepy. I appreciate the intro, man. Couldn't ask for anything more than that and uh, happy to be a part of the team here. And, you know, we were just talking off, off the air here before the podcast that that I've been listening to you and Dave for a while now with the old uh MegaPod from pregame.com and I was one of the guys uh nagging you the most in the comments about hey you need to get this on Stitcher, you need to get this on Google Play and uh I'm happy that uh Dan Rivera reached out to me and we we're able to connect and get things going here over the last couple of months. So yeah, man, it's it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be a part of the team and uh you know, fantasy football has always been my first love when it comes to football and sports and you know, I I grew up uh playing basketball and uh I, I covered sports as a long time for a reporter. I, I was fifteen years in the sports media game and we've got a lot of baseball down here in Southwest Florida and I lived in New York City and like you mentioned, I covered the Brooklyn Nets for a while when they moved over from Jersey to Brooklyn and that's where I was living at the time. So so anyways, man, you know, long story short, these last five years, I um, you know, went away from the journalism world and got into marketing and doing website development. And uh, I guess that came in handy for us uh, getting together and doing the Betting Predators site. So I'm excited to get back into the content. And uh, yeah, just in terms of the plan is uh, we want to put out just consistent quality content for the BettingPredators.com website, just like you and Dave do on the podcast, You know, keeping things short and sweet and to the point and really just trying to provide value and valuable information to our listeners, to our readers. And I I think that we can do that. And what I plan on doing on the website is just putting out weekly rankings, but not just at the beginning of the week, but keeping them updated throughout the week, literally up until kickoff. We're going to have rankings for you guys at every position for your fantasy teams. We're going to be really hitting the DFS and player props hard. uh, And you mentioned with the Hitman as well, He's obviously the player prop guru over here. And, and I'll be able to uh, add some perspective as a former sports reporter who's covered these teams for a long time and someone who's just super into fantasy and, and kind of does fantasy football year-round, even during the offseason. So we're going to be giving you guys the weekly rankings. We're going to be giving you guys waiver-wire targets to go after on, on your waivers each week as well, in addition to DFS plays for the weekend, whether you're playing on DraftKings, FanDuel, Yahoo!, Etc. I, I got a little bit of a bone to pick with FanDuel because they, they've been they've been crashing these last couple of days, but we'll we'll save that story for another day. So so anyways, I know that was a little long winded, but uh, I'm excited to get things going and uh, talk some fantasy with you here and, and for the rest of the season, sleepy.
0: And you know, one of the things that that you brought up that that I have to go ahead and, and nail home is you can go to a lot of the sports betting information sites, and you could go to a lot of the fantasy sites, and they really struggle to go ahead and intermingle. Fantasy guys with sports betting guys. But when you put that combination together, it's actually lethal to the sports book. And that's one of the reasons why I brought you on here and why as soon as I understood, you know, your level of intelligence with, you know, fantasy football, I was like, there's no way that we could let this guy go away. We need him here because you make my job so much easier when it comes to you know who's this player gonna you know go up against this week and who's who's he gonna end up having a matchup against uh you know wh- what about this inside linebacker that that might be like a leading tackler or something is he really all that important is is the rushing game for the other team you know is it gonna pick up because of this and because of that you know those things all make at the end of the day for winning bets and sports information sites they they just they they fail to go ahead and find fantasy guys to integrate into their you know into their system. I think that's something that the sports bettors, you know, really crave one. You know, if you're a fantasy guy, cool, we have the fantasy. And if you're a betting guy, we, we have that as well. But when you put them together, I know this for a fact, it's, it's a potent, potent potion, um, you know, to go ahead and beat the sports books. In, and they simply don't like that. You now, one of the things you mentioned as well, before we go ahead and we'll talk about, um, do you know, some of the guys that we're thinking about playing, you know, buying and fading for this upcoming season, at least for your season long. But one of the things you mentioned I want to go back to, you know, is is that you're like a journalist and, and you like to write. And this is something that a lot of handicappers we've been we've been told a million times. If you want to know what's going on with the team, you have to read the local reporters. And obviously you're, you know, a journalist. You like to write, but you also like to read. And one thing that you're getting from, you know, doing fantasy stuff. You know, you're reading a lot of the local stuff and you know where to find that stuff. And that takes off, you know, that just takes so much off of a handicapper's plate, you know, to go ahead and have a guy that we can go, you know, did did you did you happen to read anything, you know, locally from from the New Orleans Saints? You'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, this dude that I used to work with actually works over here. And uh, yeah, I read his stuff all the time. He's a good buddy of mine or something like that. Like a lot of ha- a lot of handicappers just don't have those type of connections. And and, you know, a lot of us, you know, we do so much reading throughout the day that, you know, it does get tiresome to go ahead and try to be like, oh, let me go read up on the Indianapolis Colts. But that's kind of like your wheelhouse. It's what you like to do. And you've been sharing that type of information, at least an article wise on the betting predator. So at least when you guys know that you're reading anything that's kind of professional on the betting you know, it's probably coming from Chris. It probably won't come from me. Um, if if Chris did anything for me when it came to writing, he'd be, he'd be uh, you know, going ahead and doing all my proofreading because I'm not the greatest writer. But uh, certainly, you know, reading through his stuff, you can see his level of expertise. So with all that said and all that stuff out of the way, I want to go into, you know, who we're going to buy and who we're going to sell going into season long. As we mentioned, we will do daily fantasy. I mean, that's where I feel that I excel at and the hitman. But Chris has, you know, all this stuff lined up for the season. You know, who who are we looking at to go ahead and buy? Who are we looking at to go ahead and sell? So I want to go ahead and I want to start out with quarterbacks. Chris, I'm going to give you the floor. I'm going to let you go ahead and tell us what quarterbacks you're looking at buying and selling. And then when you get done with that, I'm going to go ahead and give you, you know, at least some some constructive criticism or whether I agree or not and then we'll be able to go ahead and kind of you know dissect you know where our minds are right now from a betting perspective and from a fantasy perspective
1: just to chime in real quick from what you just talked about in terms of the daily grind and and I kind of made a joke about that every year people kind of poke and prod and make fun because I'm literally making waiver wire moves every single day in my league whatever whatever league that I'm in at the time And, and I'm doing FFPC which is if some of the listeners don't know you can go to FFPC and you can do big money entry leagues, or you can go as little as $35 entry up and up to like $1,500 entries for leagues. And you're playing with casual fans. You're playing with uh, professional analysts across the industry. You have a lot of different options. So even if you only have, let's say one or two home leagues, you can still play in as much type of, uh, you know, you can, you can juice the pot up, so to speak, uh, for your season long fantasy as well, by doing things like FFPC and other leagues like that out there and other platforms and it's all about the grind because I'm literally making three times, four times, five times more waiver moves every single week for the season uh, compared to the second highest guy in my league. And and that's because I'm reacting to the news every single day. If, if I see news that Miles Sanders has an injured groin on a Tuesday morning, I'm going to pick up his backup off the waivers if he's available. And look, Miles Sanders might be fine. He might be managed day to day in practice. He might be sure to start on Sunday, but On the off chance that he isn't, and I get the Eagles starting running back for that week essentially for free, then I'm going to definitely think it was worth checking my Twitter notifications and making that pickup and dropping my kicker and my defense up until Sunday morning when I know exactly who I need on my roster at that time. So that's something I will do a, a, a whole hell of a lot throughout the seasons. I'm dropping my kicker. I'm dropping my defense almost first thing in the week. So I can instantly give myself two extra spots to add speculative waivers and players off the waivers for that week. And it's all about grinding that news, man. Twitter is your fantasy weapon for the season for DFS. Like you talked about, it, it's having the best people in the industry, those beat reporters and those media outlets that cover this 24 seven, just get them on a Twitter list and get your Twitter from Twitter notifications on for the season and that'll that'll put you so much further ahead of the game than most of the people in your home fantasy leagues and all that, and just that alone is going to go a long way in terms of just condensing the news so you don't have to go to 20 different websites at once and read 20 different articles. You can get the most important nuggets from each and every article sent directly to your phone, so that's a huge weapon for me. I'm not saying I'm the only person that uses that by any means, but the, the more narrowed and focused you can kind of customize those notifications for, it makes for a lot of time saved and a lot more smart decisions throughout the course from week to week and for the entire season as well. Um, so yeah, that, that's just something I had to add in there. Cause you're, you're grinding the, uh, the daily betting cards every day. You're grinding the lines every day and, and I'm grinding the news so I can grind the waivers every day. So I think there's a lot of parallels when we, and it talks about how we approach you from the betting side and myself from the fantasy side. And, you know, just to jump in here and talk about quarterbacks, like you mentioned first is, the, the, the number one quarterback that I'm highest on this year, and a lot of people might laugh, but don't laugh too soon until you hear me out, is Tyrod Taylor. I'm super high on Tyrod Taylor this year. People can talk about the fact that Justin Herbert's waiting in the wings, that he might be starting by week six or seven, just like is going to replace Ryan Fitzpatrick in Miami. But you just got to take your time and look at the situation here, right? And, and, I, and I'm going to preface that by saying that Tyrod Taylor, first of all, In the expert consensus rankings, this is an average or aggregate of all the expert rankers in the industry. It's like over 100 plus people. They have Tyrod Taylor ranked at QB 30. You know what that means? Is that most fantasy drafts, he's he's getting left on the board. He's not being taken. So you have a chance here to get a guy with literally the last pick in your draft who could be a top 10 quarterback or higher this season. And I'm gonna tell you why. That Tyrod Taylor he's being reunited with Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn was the offensive coordinator in Buffalo when Tyrod Taylor led them to the playoffs in 2015 and 2016. In those two seasons, and look, I know it's five years ago. I get it. Tyrod Taylor, the last time he was a starting quarterback for Anthony Lynn, he was QB7 and QB7 overall in fantasy points per game. So you're talking about a a quarterback that's being taken 30th on average in drafts right now. And you're getting him for free for the chance that he could be a top 10 quarterback. And that's because he's going to be running in the same style of offense that he ran in Buffalo. They're not going to start Justin Herbert this year unless the Chargers just stink it up out of the gate. But then you add add in the fact that the Chargers have one of the top five easiest schedules in the NFL, maybe the easiest when it comes to the first eight games. And if this Chargers team comes out and goes five and three, six and two in those first eight, then Tyrod's going to be that quarterback throughout the season and into the playoffs, especially with the extra playoff spot they have in each conference this season. So I'm super high on Tyrod. The high rushing floor obviously goes without saying. The guy's going to get you an extra four to five points every single week just based off his rushing upside. And even in games when they're ahead, he'll still be running the ball because that's one of the things he does best. And one of the other things he does very well is he limits turnovers. So you're not going to get those interceptions like from a Baker Mayfield when he was starting in front of Baker on the Browns, or even in this situation Even in this situation, when you look back at last season, 2019, and the amount of interceptions that Phillip Rivers threw. Tyrod's going to give you the opposite. He's going to give you consistency. He's going to give you a high rushing floor. He's going to limit the turnovers. But all that is exactly what he did in Buffalo under Anthony Lynn as the OC there for two years, and he was the seventh-ranked QB in fantasy points per game. So give me Tyrod Taylor all day every day and if you're waiting till the last round to to, to pick your quarterback in your draft you're just going to be able to stack at every single position running back wide receiver tight end if you can get a top 10 quarterback with the last pick in your draft you're going to be miles ahead of your competition when it comes to your season-long fantasy leagues
0: you know one of the reasons that I would probably end up finding myself playing Tyrod in DFS is probably the fact that I actually think Eckler is a lot more potent probably in the pass catching game and if Tyrod can go ahead and move around, which he obviously can move around a whole hell of a lot better than Rivers, you know that's going to provide you know a little bit more passing, I think, in that offense in general. You know, and you're probably going to end up with with a with a healthy you know Hunter Henry. You know, the, the, I think that at some point, you know, and and we'll talk a couple different teams, and 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 I I actually think that the Chargers and the Falcons are going to be similar. They're going to try to run similar offenses, and and they're going to look like you know, more of a a pass first type of offense. I think a lot of, a lot of teams are are realizing, you know, that, that if you can't pass the ball efficiently, you know, throughout a game, no matter what your defense does, you know, when you're going up against a a Mahomes or, or, you know, a guy like that who could put up, you know, 45 points and they could do so much damage through the air that you need to be able to match their firepower and running the football, you know, with a guy like, like Derek Henry. Now, granted they did really well last year, but sometimes you just can't put the points on the board you know, fast enough. And I have a, I have a gut feeling that that's what the Chargers are looking to do this year is they're going to say, you know, maybe we run less. We get rid of Gordon. We have Eckler there. He's really good out of the backfield when it comes to catching the ball. And, like, they got, like, a Justin Jackson back there they could use on their, you know, third and one or their goal line, whatever. Get him in there. Let him get his yard or two or whatever the case might be. But I think the fact that Taylor can move and Eckler can go ahead and catch. And you know you still got Keenan now, and I mean you got guys out there that can catch the ball. I could see this Chargers team being a team that that throws the ball a whole hell of a lot more than a lot of people think. And you know that that Tyrod's, you know, a lot of people aren't going to pick him, and he'll be left there. And in DFS, you know, you're going to end up probably getting you know decent prices on him to go ahead and start out the year. So that's what I'll say on Tyrod.
1: Let me just jump in, Sleepy, before we move on. I I don't want to make this the Tyrod Taylor podcast, even though that, that that's my boy right there, but. You talk about week one in DFS. The guy is absolutely dirt cheap, and they're playing the Cincinnati Bengals. And, and And full disclosure, I've been a Bengals fan my entire life. Not a very proud one, but I am a Bengals fan, right? So, so I saw their defense play or lack of defense play last year, and the Chargers offense is going to eat in week one. And th- they're going to have no problem. And even in a game like that where they might be leading from first quarter to the laps and, and just be in complete control, it doesn't mean that they're just not going to throw the ball. And you make a great point with Keenan Allen. Mike Williams is a guy who's just completely been slept on with his talent. I know he hasn't been the most consistent fantasy producer, but you can't argue the guy's talent and the contested type of catches he makes downfield. And you add that Austin Eckler's is having this backfield almost to himself this year. He was, a, he was the top running back in fantasy last year for the first six or seven games of the year, obviously right up there with CMC until Melvin Gordon came back. So, you're talking about early reports out of camp is that Justin Jackson is going to be splitting the carries of Eckler. The rookie Joshua Kelly is kind of getting left behind in that third role, which which, make, which makes sense. I think a lot of these third, fourth round rookie running backs that got drafted this year, if you don't have really high tra- uh, draft capital like a, like a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire um, or like a DeAndre Swift, you're going to have a really hard time getting that playing time early in the season. Uh, so uh, all that goes to say is that Tyrod has the dump offs to Eckler, the best ca- pass catching back in the league right up there with CMC. He has the slot guy and Keenan Allen, reliable route runner. He has Mike Williams, downfield threat, athletic target, and he can scramble and run. And he's got the trust of his OC slash head coach now, Anthony Lynn. And some people uh, have gone back at me on Twitter and said, oh, well, Greg Roman was the offensive coordinator in 2015 when Tyrod was uh, the top seven quarterback that year. But Greg Roman wasn't there the year after in 2016. And Anthony Lynn and Tyrod did this together again. And that they brought in Tyrod for a reason. This team thinks they can win, and he's a better fit for the coach, the scheme, and the skill players around him than Phillip Rivers, who I think it might be a little bit washed, which is why I'm a little down the Colts' offense as a whole this year. But those are all the reasons I'm high on Tyrod Taylor. And great week one matchup, great first eight weeks matchups of the season for the Chargers' offense in general. I would not mind getting Austin Eckler in the second round getting Tyrod Taylor with the last pick in my draft and having that stack for the first two months of fantasy, whether it's in DFS or season long, give, give me that all day. I love that.
0: I mean, I could honestly see myself taking him week one. And one of the things that I do particularly in DFS is I like to play it safe week one. I don't want to be guessing on guys. And if I have a quarterback that I get at a really good price, then guess what? Then I'm getting McCaffrey. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get Zeke. I'm going to load up on more running backs, especially with my flex. I'm probably going to pop a running back in that. I know that it's not going to go out there and not be an option. You know, I'm going to be looking for volume guys and stuff that first week. That's just kind of the way that I play it. And like I said, I could probably see myself going ahead and jumping on Tyrod for that first week. Who else do you got in your uh, quarterback list there, buy and sell?
1: Yeah. And and just last thing on Tyrod, I, Promise, no more entire after after I drop this nugget here. He is the cheapest starting quarterback in Week One on DraftKings, fifty six hundred dollars. He's priced below Jimmy Garoppolo, below Kirk Cousins, below Baker Mayfield. Has by far the best matchup out of anybody on that slate for Week One. And the guy that's priced just a hundred dollars less than him is Jameis Winston, a backup quarterback. So the entire world is sleeping on Tyrod Taylor. Take advantage of the value where you see it there. The last season, this guy was a full time starter yeah, he passed for a little over 3000 yards, you know, not a big deal. He ran for 580 yards and six touchdowns. So give me a quarterback that runs like that and can pass halfway decent all day, every day. Uh, and another guy that, that I'm, I'm relatively high on, uh, you know, not exactly the same situation uh, as Tyrod Taylor is Teddy Bridgewater. And, and just to, to, to mention in terms of how high or low we are on compared to the expert consensus, I currently have Tyrod Taylor as my 11th ranked quarterback going into the season where the ECR has him at QB 30. As I mentioned, I've got Teddy Bridgewater, not too far behind at QB 13 while the expert consensus consensus has him at QB 26. So I've got Teddy Bridgewater 13 spots higher than the expert consensus rankings out there right now. And, and it goes to a lot of what we talked about in terms of looking at the Vegas lines and the market in the, in the betting market and The fact that the Carolina Panthers, I'm pretty sure they have either the lowest or one of the two lowest win totals projected for the season. And that just means that they're going to be trailing in a lot of games and losing a lot of games. And you look at all the rookies they might be starting on defense this year. The fact that their defense was already very poor last year. So it's going to get even worse. And you add all that up, and that sounds like a lot of negative game scripts to me. And Teddy Bridgewater is a better passer, a more competent quarterback than Kyle Allen is at this stage in his career. And the fact you're bringing him into Carolina with the new coaching scheme, new offensive play caller, then I think you have a lot of potential for garbage time points and junk time stats. And I love a quarterback like that, who again, is is some drafts is going undrafted. A lot of drafts going in the 13th, 14th, 15th round. So I love me some Teddy Bridgewater and Panthers skill players. I'm super high on DJ Moore when we talk about going into wide receivers for the same reasons. Uh, And, and just the defense isn't there. This is a rebuild and they, but they still brought in a competent quarterback like Teddy and in a normal situation like he was with the saints last year, he was just being a game manager. They had the defense. They had the tools to, to win games without their quarterback, without asking them to do much. They're going to have to ask Teddy to do a lot just to stay competitive in these games this year. And 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 that's why I'm super high. I got him right on the fringe of being a QB1 this year.
0: Well, I have Teddy right now in my quarterback rankings at 28. So that's probably not news to your ears. I think one of my concerns here with Bridgewater is the fact that he's going into a completely different system where, you know, it's a completely different team. He spent you know, a number of years in Minnesota. Then obviously, you know, he had the broken leg issue, you know, that that really sidelined him for a number of years. Then he goes into, you know, a Saints team where, you know, you're playing behind, you know, an all-world quarterback in Drew Brees. And now it's like you don't have anybody except yourself. You have a new coach, new offense. You do have a running back that will bail your rear end out, you know, left and right. And as you mentioned, D.J. Moore, you know, he's going to be, you know, probably one of the most sought-after wide receivers this season. I'm not high on Teddy and I'm not low on him. When he came out of college, I was really high on Bridgewater. I thought he had one of the nicest spirals. I thought he can throw the ball down the field. Uh, Didn't exactly have the strongest arm, but he made plays when when he needed to make them. And the fact that he was mobile, you know, it kind of always put me, you know, on the fence that he was going to end up being a good quarterback when he got into this league. And unfortunately, he hurt himself, you know, rather, you know, almost lost his career. Um, due to the injury that he sustained. But, I mean, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I think the Panthers are set up very similar to, you know, the way that the Chargers are, where, you know, they have a, a back that, you know, they don't have to they don't have to run with this guy. You know, you can use McCaffrey, for, you know, out of the backfield to go ahead and help him move the chains. And if they are down, which, you know, we know that that defense isn't all that good, Bridgewater probably throws the ball 30 times a game, and, and that's certainly um, nothing that you can go ahead and discount. Um, that's all I really have on Bridgewater. Like I said, 28th kind of on the fence with him. I root for him though. I do certainly root for Teddy.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And I had the same optimism when he came out and was the quarterback for the Vikings and he got hurt way too soon in that opportunity he had there. And it's good to see him bounce back and get another opportunity at a starting job for sure. But I don't even disagree with you at all on the fact that you have him ranked QB 28, but you're talking about just in terms of just quarterback overall. And and in, in real life and not in fantasy life. So I I would I wouldn't even argue that right there. What what I would say is the fact that he has dynamic playmakers around him. He has a terrible defense and the fact that look, if you take the first half of these game, games for the whole season, maybe he struggles to move the ball because he's in that new situation, but when you're talking about a Panthers team possibly trailing by multiple touchdowns throughout the entire second half of maybe a lot of these games, then you're talking about just pure junk time and late touchdown drives that don't mean anything and constantly chucking the ball down field. He could be attempting 40 plus passes on a regular basis. I think those are the ingredients for me in the fact, I think he's competent enough to be able to do those things at a halfway decent level. And that's why I think that junk time with their defense and with the weapons can vault him close to being a QB one for the season. And I think he adds a little bit with his legs. He's shown to be a little more athletic than your average quarterback. So you give me a guy like him compared to a guy like Tom Brady or Drew Brees, who their teams might not need to be playing catch up very often. They might be playing from ahead more often than not. I'd much rather take a guy like Teddy Bridgewater with that upside to run and with the upside to be trailing big late in games and just rack up those garbage time statistics. That makes a huge difference, as you know, in DFS and season-long fantasy.
0: You know, one of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about Bridgewater is the fact that, you know, I have him ranked as my 28th quarterback and you are are higher on him, at least for a fantasy. And, and you know, I think the Bridgewater ceiling, at least in my rankings, you know, he could be better than a Drew Locke. He could be better than Darnold, Minshew, uh, you, maybe better than, than Tannehill, Daniel Jones. I mean, he could go from 28 to literally, you know, probably being – you know, right in that 14, 15, 16 area in my rankings. But I think his ceiling for fantasy, you know, is probably, you know, top 10. So it's not that I disagree, you know, with you at all, but I think it's important for what, when we're talking, at least our, our listeners understand that, you know, you're, you have your rankings at least for fantasy. I'm not trying to confuse our people, but I'm just saying, you know, here's where I have him as an overall quarterback to start the season. But I certainly can see – you know, where he can end up as an overall quarterback in my rankings. And I can also certainly see, you know, the potential that he has as a fantasy quarterback. There's not going to be too many guys that are, you know, throwing the ball 30, 40 times in garbage time, you know, week after week after week. He he definitely fits that bill. And those are the guys you're looking at. You're looking for the cheap guys that are going to get you the cheap yards that are going to be uncontested garbage time touchdowns. And it doesn't matter. You know, you root for a guy to get you one, two, three touchdowns. And I would be willing to bet that if you you know you put me up against Breeze, you put me up against Goff, you put me up against Wentz, and you put me you know in there with Bridgewater, that Bridgewater is probably going to have more fourth quarter touchdowns than those guys, just because you know that that they're going to end up trailing by so many points, you know, each and every week. So uh, I just wanted to clear that up. That's all I have on on Bridgewater. And
1: you can and before we move on, we move on here. Is this you could. uh I could say that I'm high on a guy like Deshaun Watson and he kind of gives you that elite version of a Teddy Bridgewater where you know he's he's going to give you those numbers week in and week out with his rushing with his passing but I I got I got Deshaun Watson at QB3 ECR has him at QB6 it's three spots difference he's still up there regardless so I don't want to just give you easy names I want to give you names where I say hey this guy could literally outperform his ADP by 12-15 spots this year and I and I firmly believe that with Tyrod and Teddy. And, and I, I would love for a season-long stack or even for week one DFS stacks. I don't think the Raiders' defense is all that great. And Teddy Bridgewater could be doing this doing this garbage, uh, garbage time performance thing just in week one alone for the season. So pairing him with a CMC, with a DJ Moore, pairing Tyrod with an Austin Eckler, maybe even Keenan Allen for week one, I, I, those are going to be cheap stacks that you can go to and really get leverage on the rest of the field with because I think the ownership on those guys are going to be pretty low despite the really juicy matchups they have in week one and just throughout the first half of the season at the very least.
0: I think most of the sharp guys will be targeting exactly the people that we're talking about, at least the quarterbacks that we're talking about. That's just my my gut feeling. Now you did mention Deshaun Watson. I have, I have some thoughts on him. I want to hear what you think on him first. I'm not sure if you're buying or selling him going into this season. But you had mentioned, I think you just said that you had him three in your rankings. Why don't you talk about Deshaun a little bit?
1: Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it goes back into kind of the overall uh, general analysis th- that I gave on Teddy Bridgewater and the fact that the Texans aren't expected to win as many games as they've won in the last couple of years. I, I think their over-under has been kind of going back and forth between what maybe seven and a half to eight and a half wins from the beginning of this, uh, the, of the offseason to now. I'm not exactly sure where it is at this point. Um, so they're, they're basically expected to be average or a little bit less than average uh, in terms of the Vegas market. And I think that only helps Deshaun Watson because he's going to be asked to put more on his shoulders than he has for his entire career because he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins. And because of that, he's going to have to run a little bit more his team's going to be trailing a little bit more in these games. He's going to have more negative game scripts than he would in a normal season. And, you know, Will Fuller's healthy. They have a great rapport and they put up great numbers together. Even if Will Fuller gets hurt, like he has done in years past, Watson's still going to have to take the onus on himself to pretty much do everything for the offense on all downs. And I think because of that, because of Bill O'Brien's extremely poor general managing from the top, I think that's only going to help the garbage time, same narrative as I spoke about with Teddy, that's only going to help Deshaun rack up those garbage time statistics, and that's why I put him a tick higher than Kyler Murray, a tick higher than Russell Wilson, because you're still faced with Pete Carroll and that coaching staff wanting to run the ball and and not not let Russ quote-unquote cook, as many people love to say, so because of those reasons, that's why I had Deshaun Watson slightly ahead of that second tier of quarterbacks there.
0: You know, I think this is going to be a guy that we probably either butt heads on or you and I are going to end up probably being able to talk through and we're going to eventually figure out where he belongs. My my recommendation with Sean throughout this entire season is going to be it's a ticking time bomb and it's going to explode at some point. Multiple players on this team have, you know, voiced their opinions, how much they dislike this coach, how much they dislike the team. They've requested trades. And they found themselves, you know, not in Houston anymore. And now you're going to bring in, you know, a, a running back who has, you know, I guess you could say injury concerns with David Johnson. Will Fuller has been hurt throughout the years. You you got an old guy in Fells. You got an older guy in Randall Cobb. And you're just, it, 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 to me, it just looks like an old wounded team that has a lot of turmoil within their, you know, within their team. Maybe they're not fighting amongst each other. But eventually that does start to happen, and it wouldn't shock me if, you know, we start hearing reports out of Houston that guys are fighting in in training camp and getting suspended and beating each other up, and the coach just has absolutely no control. And when you're the best player on the team, and it's starting to diminish what you're trying to do, not only for the season, but more importantly, you know, for your career, Deshaun Watson, you could put him... On the Chargers, he's going to be a better quarterback. You could put him on the Browns. He's going to be a much better quarterback. But sometimes when you get stuck in a situation where it starts holding you back and you think this is going to affect my bottom line 10 years down the road, you either rebel or you go out and you try to play the best that you possibly can. But it's hard to play really, really good when you have your best players on the team that are always injured or they just don't want to play. Or if they get a hamstring, they're out for two weeks. It's like, you know, where's the grit and where's the gut? Where's the grit with this team and the guts? I just don't honestly see it. So for me, if I were betting and I were going to head and put my money down and I had Deshaun Watson sitting in front of me and he was the guy I could pick, I would avoid him at all costs. That's just where I'm feeling with this guy right now. And I think he's a great quarterback. He right now in my quarterback, he's number four. And it's just a guy that, you know, throughout DFS that I would certainly avoid. And his price tag is going to be way too high. I think they're a ticking time bomb, and that's just the way I feel about him.
1: Yeah, and, and I think you bring up all valid points. I don't even think we're in any disagreement here. Um, I think the fact that just everything's being put on his shoulders—not not like, not like it wasn't already, right? But, but even more so now, it's just been magnified tenfold with with, with just the atrocious types of moves that Bill O'Brien has made, bringing in a guy with a bad back at, at the end of, at the end of his career, what it seems like, and David Johnson. And, you know, you know, obviously De- DeAndre Hopkins, maybe he's not in his prime like he was a year or two ago, but he's still an elite receiver in the league. And, and just it, it doesn't make sense what they're doing. But Bill O'Brien still has made the most of what, whatever roster he has. I think he's a good coach from week to week. Obviously, he's a terrible general manager. Um, so I do agree there's a there's a little bit of risk in the fact that, like, what if things just blow up? What if Watson gets hurt? Uh, middle of the season and they're like, you know, let's say they're like you know three and seven and he's just like, oh, I'm gonna get surgery and this the season's over in that case then, then then yeah, I think a little bit of extra risk could come on Watson in kind of that doomsday scenario for the Texans, but if he's playing and he's actually been quite healthy throughout his career take out the one season he was hurt and in college. so if, if he can stay if he can stay upright and just do more he, he's got to do more with his arm, he's got to do more with his legs that, that's essentially a situation Bill O'Brien's put him in. That's why I put him a little bit higher uh, than Kyler Murray, who's, you know, they're actually in a pretty run-centric offense over there in Arizona, despite what you may think about the air raid and Cliff Kingsbury. They were one of the most efficient running teams in the NFL last year, and having Kenyon Drake back there is a big boost to that team. That's somebody we'll get into with the running backs, but um, I, th- that's the only reason I, I put him slightly higher is because more negative game scripts for Watson, more responsibility on himself with rushing and passing, And that to me could make the slight difference over guys in that same tier, like a Dak Prescott, um, you know, like a Russ Wilson, like a Kyler Murray, because those four guys are pretty much all interchangeable. If if you read the QB tiers on bettingpredators.com, I I made the note of that whatever four of those quarterbacks falls the latest, that's the one you should take because I literally, I literally think it's that close in fantasy this year between Dak, Deshaun, Russ, and Kyler. So if you're in the, if you're in the fifth, sixth round, and you see three of those guys go, just take whichever one's left. If you want to take a quarterback at that point, I th- think you'll be fine with any four of those guys, but I-, I just have Deshaun Watson just a slight tick ahead of them right now as it stands.
0: You know, one of the things that you were talking about when, when you were talking about Deshaun, like if you look at my quarterback, you know, points to the, the betting line, I mean, he's he's right up there. He's probably worth like six, six and a half points to the betting line. So I'm not saying that, you know, that, that this is a guy that, that I don't think is good. He's obviously very good. But again, um, you know, it's just it's it's certainly just a guy that I'm going to go ahead and caution everybody. You know, when when they take him, you know, in, in their in their season longs, I just have a gut feeling that 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 this is just not a situation he wants to be in. You know, you take a quarterback who, you know, more than likely, probably won the state championship. He probably won, you know, forty eight out of forty nine games in in high school, and then you know it, the college. I mean, the guy was, you know, he was borderline amazing, and then he comes into a Houston team where. They were actually pretty damn good. I mean, they made the playoffs, you know, but this year it's like, are they gonna make the playoffs? Probably not. I don't like taking championship pedigree quarterbacks and, and then seeing them in a situation that just it does not favor them at all. And then and then kind of putting my money my kind of putting my money on them to go ahead and have like this, you know, heroic season where and you mentioned it, you know, he's gotta carry the team and it's just how long do you want to carry around a bunch of people that are hurt and don't want to be there and and coaches that, you know, and quite frankly, there are good quarterbacks out there that, that know more about football than, than some of the coaches do. And Bill O'Brien hasn't, you know, maybe he, he's a good college coach or whatever, but, you know, I think he's on the hot seat right from the gate. This team starts out like 0-4, 0-5. I don't think O'Brien's there very long. I think they're just going to say, you know what, this guy's just caused enough damage um, we lost our best wide receiver. We're zero four. We got players screaming and fighting each other. Like it just it, it it to me. I could see a ticking time bomb, and that's exactly you know what I see with this team. But anyway, I rambled on enough there. What else you got going for quarterbacks?
1: Yeah, no. So that, that, that I think we'll keep it to a max of three guys we're buying for each position, and, and just a couple guys that I'm fading right now for this season. As you mentioned, Daniel Jones. I love the guy's potential, but. Uh, you look at the New York Giants, and we talk about this with season win total bet, uh, season win total bets over the course of the season or the offseason specifically, is that we want to be taking the under on the Giants. And and, and you say, why? Is because well last year, what I think they went six and ten with one of the league's easiest schedules. This year they have one of the league's hardest schedules. And you look at the first eight weeks of the season, and it's absolutely brutal. And you talk about week one opening up against the Steelers defense, which you could argue coming into 2020. Might be the number one defense in the NFL. Not a good spot for Daniel Jones to start the season off at. And you look at a guy who you basically say, with the matchups he has in front of him, he's literally could be unstartable for the first eight weeks. That's not a guy that you want to draft. Uh, And maybe he's a guy who you could pick up in week eight or nine, midway through your season, and ride him out. But if you don't have a top 10 guy at quarterback, then you want to be streaming every week based on matchups. And you could literally have a top five quarterback starting a different quarterback every week. Cause you could be picking up Jared Goff against the Cardinals one week, the next week you're going to pick up Baker and stream him against the Dolphins with the worst defense in the league last year. So these are things that you can do. So even though Daniel Jones has that potential, I think ECR has him QB 14 and that's because he has the high draft capital. He flashed in certain games last year but the games he flashed in were games where he had sizable matchup advantages against very weak defenses. And he does not have that for the first two months of the season this year. And that's why I got Daniel Jones at QB 21. So seven spots lower than expert consensus rankings, uh, right there. I'm not starting Daniel Jones uh, against the Steelers in week one, no matter what, I'm not going to start him then. And you look at the rest of the season, uh, you know, week two at Chicago, week three against San Francisco, you know, you're just not starting Daniel Jones any of those three weeks there. So I love the potential from the kid. I think he's going to be a good real-life quarterback, could be a good second half of the season fantasy quarterback, but not taking him in any single draft that I do this season.
0: You mentioned it, take him in the second half of the season. And that was kind of what I was thinking is you're going to have to really pick and choose what you do with this guy. I think the best case scenario for going ahead and taking a guy like Jones, I'm not talking in your season long. I'm just talking DFS is the fact that, you know, if they just start using Barkley too much in the beginning and they're just like, all right, everybody's loading up against Barkley in the box. And it's like, we can't do anything, you know, with our, you know, best player on the team. And then they start having to revert to, he needs to start airing it out and just throwing, dropping back and throwing the ball. Then maybe in like week four or five, six or whatever down the road, maybe it could be like, you know what? They're going to keep stacking the box against Saquon. And we have a healthy Ingram and a healthy Shepherd and a Tate. You know, maybe he can go ahead and, and, you know, have that flash in the pan week somewhere, you know, where a lot of people are kind of maybe, you know, shine away from him a little bit. Maybe he goes out. Maybe they get blown out. But, you know, maybe it's one of those game scripts where, you know, they're in the game, you know, it's something like that. I think you do have to pick and choose, you know, when and where you go ahead and use that guy right now in my rankings. He's 24th and I feel pretty comfortable with that. I have him right now behind Joe Burrow, Tannehill and Cousins. So. Um, that, that's kind of where I have Jones right now. Who else you got?
1: Yeah. And, and that's, a, it's the same argument that that I've made for Teddy Bridgewater. But I think the main difference here with Daniel Jones is that he's going as, as like middle of the round type of quarterback, whereas Teddy's going near the end of the, of, of the draft. So I think that in that case, you look at the opportunity cost and the value that presents itself. And I don't think Daniel Jones is worth it at QB 14 or 15, where he's going right now in drafts or where he's ranked. Whereas, Teddy's ranked as QB 26. He's coming off the board, you know, second to last round of your draft. I think the value is worth it there. Daniel Jones was going that late. I don't think it would be bad to take a flyer on him. So I think in the same same way you look at the lines moving from the market each and every week on a specific side or a total, you kind of gauge them, you kind of gouge the market and see, you know, where can I attack? And right now you just don't want to attack Daniel Jones with the price tag that's on him right now. And and, and just the, the other guy, main guy, I'm not really trying to fade too many quarterbacks in general. I have guys that I really like, like Tyrod and Teddy. But one guy I'm going to fade that I, I think most people I know aren't really high on him as a fantasy quarterback, but he has that legacy type of name, and it's Drew Brees. And we talked about Drew Brees and the Saints being at a disadvantage this year with the lack of fans uh, you know, during the season. And the New Orleans Saints obviously having one of the most raucous you know, home fan experiences in the NFL – and Drew Brees' arm in, in times – in pressure moments last year did not look good. He, he's got two of the best backups in the league waiting, waiting right behind him, right in the wings there with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Don't forget about him. The, the touchdown vulture, Taysom Hill. So with with all those things being said, with Alvin Kamara being a little bit healthier, they can lean on the run a little bit more. They can lean on the defense a little more. They have a great O-line with, with both Kamara and Latavius Murray to run the ball – uh ECR has Drew Brees at QB ten. I'm not super low on Brees I've got him around QB sixteen, so about six spots lower than consensus rankings. Uh I, I think at best he's he's a middling kind of average quarterback in fantasy for the season, but he's not a guy that's gonna win you any weeks. And, and he might lose you a few weeks because, because they might just need to rely on the run and the defense to to get a lot of those wins uh this season. So that's why I'm lower than Drew Brees. He's he's kind of the second guy I'm fading here in the quarterbacks.
0: He's probably my biggest fate of the entire season, and there's a couple of reasons behind that. You know, with the COVID situation going on right now, I think there are going to be a number of teams that when they play at home, they're going to be affected most, and I would put the Saints right in there. I mean, that that, that team really, really relies on their home crowd, and Brees isn't getting any – he's not getting any younger. And I, I, I think that at some point – we saw a touch of it last year, and I don't like to go back to, you know – to last year and be like, oh, you know, it looked like he fell off a little bit. You know, guys get tired. You know, they get their rear ends kicked. You know, for sixteen weeks, I mean, they're out there playing full contact. Those guys are getting sacked. They're getting landed on by three hundred fifty pound linemen. I mean, you know, it wears on you. So, am I going to go and say his arm's going to fall off this season? No, but I've noticed regression in his, you know, in in what he can do as a quarterback now versus, you know, what he was able to do you know, four or five years ago when he was, you know, breaking records, you know, each and every week. There always seemed to be another record that was going down from Drew Brees. But, you know, overall, I think he is going to get a little bit older. I think that team will hurt in some way, shape, or form that they're going to end up, you know, losing, you know, that home crowd. And believe it or not, I actually have Drew Brees right now behind Tom Brady. I have Drew Brees right now as, like, my 17th-ranked quarterback, which a lot of people would say, go get your head checked. But – I see things that that some people don't. And, you know, one of the things I'll I'll, I'll make a a prediction right now is that I honestly think the Saints are going to struggle to make the playoffs this season. I think that this might be, you know, Drew Brees' last year. And a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, what he does. And, you know, when you have a guy like Thomas, you have a guy like Kamara, you know, I think they're just going to look like the same old Saints team that just couldn't get over the hump. Now, granted, they got screwed in, in, you know, one of the games, you know, whatever the case might be. But even if they don't get that call, I mean, over the last couple of years, it just seems like they're always a player too short and they just can't get the, can't get the job done. But I could see, you know, teams saying, you know what, we got to double up on, on Michael Thomas. And if you're going to beat us, beat us with somebody else. And another year of Drew Brees getting older is is certainly not going to help them. So um, I'm, I'm against Drew Brees a lot this year. I'm against the saints this year. and, And I guess you can, you can tell, but,
1: yeah, I think it, you know you, you kind of nailed it right there. I think we're, we're on the same page with Drew Brees and the fact that – I mean, look, I, I think the Saints will compete for that division title. Uh, I think the continuity there with the coaching staff and the veteran guys could give them a leg up compared to a team like Tampa. But at the same time, I think they're really going to try to play conservatively and just rely on the defense that they have. They have an above-average defensive line. They actually have the top-ranked offensive line in the league, and that's according to Uh Brandon Thorne over there does offensive line, defensive line rankings, uh, one of the best in the business at that, in my opinion. I know Dan Rivera on our team here uh, follows, follow, follows them a lot for uh, information on the linemen and everything like that. So the fact that they do have that, that continuity on the offensive line I, I think will really allow them to lean on the run game, take as much pressure off Drew Brees as possible, and they have enough to stay ahead, uh, manage these ball games, and I think that's just going to limit and cap the upside of what Drew Brees can give you. So maybe, look, like if Drew Brees is on waivers and he has a great matchup one week, you might want to pick him up and stream him. But I don't think he's somebody you should be targeting at all in, in any round of your draft this season.
0: You know, when you brought up Kamara, and, and that's a guy we're going to get into when we talk running backs, and we'll do that here in probably a little bit. But you know, that that's certainly a guy that that I'm going to go ahead and be high on because if I'm low on Breeze, I can't be low on Kamara. And then, you know, low on – I can't be low on the entire team. Like, there will be a play – and we know this even from looking at, you know, junk teams, that there's always a guy that that turns out to be, you know, the bell cow. And I think it will be, you know, Kamara this year. Let me throw one guy at you here, Chris, that that I'm actually really high on. And I think that a lot of people are going to be high on their running back, and that's the Cleveland Browns. I'm really high on Baker Mayfield this year. I think he's probably done. Well, at least he said all the right things throughout the off season that you know he's taken accountability for how he played last year and how that team ended up. Where you know he he's kind of taken that leadership role. He's not he's not like you know being out there like oh you know maybe it was Odell's problem or maybe it was you know like this coach or whatever. He's like you know what dude it, it's on me. And he understands that you know he's a quarterback that more than likely if he goes out and he performs and has a pretty good year. He's going to last in this league probably for the next 15. And I just think there's way too many playmakers on that team. A lot of people might say, well, you know, Chubb's there, and and they, they might run the ball a whole hell of a lot. If the Cleveland Browns had any brains, and I think that they do with this entire situation when it comes to their running game in Baker Mayfield, they're like, we have a team right now put together that could potentially win the Super Bowl. How do we get there? Well, if we can't do it, last year and we can't do it this year you know how do we keep building like what do we have to do well if they really think that Chubb is going to be you know one of the key pieces for them raising the Lombardi trophy they can't go out there and run that guy in the ground like you know like like the like the Rams did to Todd Gurley you just can't do that so I would be surprised if Chubb gets run a lot this season I think that there's a reason why Hunt is there and I think there's a reason why they brought in an Austin Hooper and that's you know to let Baker go out and do Baker things but to put an offense out there that you just simply can't stop and they're going to use Chubb when they need to use him but they're not going to overuse that guy and because of that, I'm thinking that Chubb is going to be down more this year and Mayfield's going to be up and I'm not sure what you think, but I'm buying I'm all in on Mayfield if if he was in front of me or if Watson was in front of me, I'm taking Mayfield which might seem a little bit crazy, but that's kind of how high I am on Mayfield right now.
1: Well, that, that that's interesting. And you would never need to take Mayfield ahead of Watson where Watson's going. You would simply just sit back and wait because Baker's another one of those guys that's not being taken uh, until the late rounds, if at all in a lot of standard drafts right now. And I, I don't know, man, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in between. I, I don't think Baker Mayfield is a bad quarterback and talking real life versus fantasy life. Right. Cause Last year, he had his struggles, obviously. The guy averaged less fantasy points per game than Derek Carr did, than Phillip Rivers did, than Goff, Garoppolo, Dalton, Cousins, guys like that did. He was right literally like on the same exact pace and fantasy points per game as Jeff Driscoll was with the Detroit Lions, and as Sam Darnold was as bad as he looked. So I hesitate to really hype Baker up too much because they were faced with a lot of those negative game scripts where he had to throw – and he simply just wasn't having success throwing the balls. I, I think it's a huge scheme thing. Uh, I, I think Kitchens was absolutely terrible. Look, I own, I own a little bit of Nick Chubb last year. I think Nick Chubb's could argue he's the best running back in the league, talent wise. I think he's that good. Um, and you have Stefanski coming in, who was known for running a lot of two tight end heavy sets, twelve personnel, which is really what the Browns thrived in last year. Is when they had two tight ends on the field, they had the ball either running with Chubb or having Baker throw to his big targets down the middle of the field. And if they can stick to that and improve that, improve the play calling, improve the schematics of everything, I think his uh, touchdown-interception ratio will definitely go up. It was 22 to 21 last year. Uh, he was sacked 40 times. So it's a guy that's doing a lot of scrambling and not really finding much success when, he, when he's running back there outside of the pocket. So I, I think the coaching change is going to help Baker tremendously. I just don't know if he can really budge that much higher when it comes to you know, a lot of these running quarterbacks we're talking about in the top tier with Lamar and Mahomes with the second tier, which is Watson, Kyler Murray, Russ Wilson, and even guys I talked about like Tyrod and Teddy. I don't know if they'll be faced with as many negative game scripts, and I don't know if he'll be running the ball as much himself and scrambling to really put him that high. Um, but I would say I'm a little optimistic. I mean, last year Baker was being taken by some people as like the third quarterback off the board. He was getting hyped super hard going into draft season 2019 for fantasy, and he obviously wet the bed to say the least on that right there. So uh, I'm optimistic. I, I'm not. I'm not giving up on Baker Mayfield as an NFL quarterback, franchise quarterback, but uh, he's someone I'm going to kind of wait and see on when it comes to fantasy.
0: You know, one of the things that that we do as sports betters is we we you know, we kind of buy low and we, and we sell high. And it's obviously going to be no lower right now on Mayfield. But as you mentioned last year, it was super high. So he burned a lot of people. He also burned a lot of bettors. He burned, you know, people who were like, oh, yeah, Browns to the playoffs and Browns to win the division. He, they, they burned a lot of players. But to go back to last year and look at that team's schedule, I mean, they had like a murderer's row to go ahead and start out for the eight weeks. So it was like, to me, it was no surprise. I mean, I was a little surprised that people were like all over them last year. And I'm like, you know what? They don't have all the pieces. They certainly don't have the coaching. Now they bring in Stefanski and I'm like, you know what? There's something different about this particular team. And when I start seeing Baker start taking accountability and start acting like a leader. And then when you have a guy like Njoku, who, you know, he physically and he he verbally said, I want to off this team. And then he turns around and he says, you know what, I'm all in. That's a culture change. That That's buying into not just what that coach is selling you, but that's buying in and saying, looking around the room and going, you know what, I've been a part of good football teams before. This is a damn good football team. This could potentially be a championship team. If I stay here for even one more year and maybe Hooper gets, you know, 70% of the production, the way that this offense is set up, I only need to go out and do my part. And then kind of like we were talking about with Watson, you know, that that, you know, the, these guys have to last, you know, their entire careers. I mean, this is their livelihood. You know, Najoku might go out and say, you know what? All I got to do is go out and have a decent season and, and I could be in this league for another, you know, five, 10 years and retire and be set for the rest of my life. So I think there is a big culture change that's going on right now with this Browns team. And, you know, look, it, I think a lot of it goes back to. Last year where, you know, people were just down in the dumps. They're taking them during daily. They're taking them for their season long. And it's like, you know, this guy just, you know, like you said, he wet the bed. And that's good. And that's that's what I want. Those are the guys I want to buy. I think this team's completely different. And they're going to shock a lot of people this year. And and I'll be putting my money on Cleveland and some future wagers. And, I look, I know it's the Browns. How do you trust the Browns? But this is a different team. And I think people are going to wake up real quick on how potent this team could be. And I don't think anybody's going to want to be playing these guys, you know, come week eight, week nine, week 10, when they're putting up 35, 40 points a game, they're not going to be a team. Anybody wants to tangle with. And uh, like I said, I'm pretty high on Mayfield right now. I have Mayfield as my ninth best quarterback, which a lot of people will probably go ahead and, and go ahead and probably discredit. But look,
1: (laughs) sleepy, you're coming in hot man. ninth ranked quarterback for Mayfield. Huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I, I like, I like Mayfield a lot. And, I'm saying it now, so come like week eight, week nine, week ten, I'll be able to go ahead and say I told you so.
1: Okay, well yeah, if, if he's if he winds up winning MVP, I'm gonna buy you a Baker Mayfield jersey for Christmas. So we'll we'll, we'll put that down on record right now. But yeah, I mean obviously he do, he doesn't have he can't really go lower than what he did last year. I mean he was um second overall in interceptions behind Winston. Winston at thirty, Baker at twenty one, Phillip Rivers right behind at twenty. Uh, he was one of only eight quarterbacks to be sacked 40 plus times. So, but what I'm I'm bringing that up to kind of go to your point in that the coaching change, the maturity change, in Baker uh, could make a difference and really take that pressure off where he's not forcing it and he's and he's kind of letting things come to him. And with the weapons they have, they obviously they added Hooper to have David Njoku as your second best tight end on the team. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty damn good tight end combo they got going on. And obviously Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I don't think there's there's not. No, I don't think there is. I know there is not a better one one two running back combo in the league talent-wise than Chubb and Hunt there, which I think could limit Baker's upside a tad when we're talking about season-long fantasy. Add to the fact he's got to play the Ravens' defense twice. He's got to play the Steelers' defense twice. He's got to play the Ravens in week one. So I don't think I'm drafting any quarterback in fantasy season-long that I'm not going to be starting in week one. Uh, but I could easily see Baker Mayfield going undrafted, being put on waivers after week one and in that in that case in the right matchup with things on the upswing, definitely think it could be worth taking a shot on at some point.
0: I think one of the big things that a lot of people aren't talking about with that team is the offensive line and how much they struggled last year. I think they'll be a much improved group this year. I think bringing in Jedrick wills here is gonna be a big help for them and I think it, it at least gives you know Baker like you know a little bit of you know comfort that he's not going to be getting creamed every other play. So again, I have him super high, you know, and, uh, and I had to go ahead and drop, you know, guys like, you know, I had to drop guys like breeze down. So yeah, I'm really high on, on Mayfield and really low on breeze. So those are two quarterbacks that, that I'm certainly looking to go ahead and target and and play and fade throughout this entire season.
1: I like it, man. I like that. That's, that's, that's a bold take, but I I, I like your uh, conviction on it, man. Let's see what happens with the Browns. Obviously like now is the time, like we don't have a preseason this year which, you know, sucks because playing preseason DFS and betting the preseason is like you don't really see too many edges like that during the regular season, but we don't have it. So we got to deal with what we can deal with with the training camps, which are a little bit limited right now, and the news that's coming out. So keep your ear tuned to what the news is on Tua, how he's looking, how he's progressing with his hip injury, how he's recovered, because in a COVID-shortened offseason with everything going on right now, with the Dolphins being a team trying to build for the future, I don't know how soon they actually want to get Tua in there as much as he is the future of the franchise. And look, I mean, I'm not trying to go too small of a sample size here, but let's take weeks 9 to 16, okay? Because 16 weeks is your typical fantasy season, right? So nine to, weeks 9 to 16 is eight games. That's exactly the second half of the fantasy season. And in the second half of the fantasy season, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback number three overall behind Lamar Jackson and Jameis Winston. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was putting up numbers. If you snagged him off the waiver wire, I'm pretty sure he was leading you to the playoffs, if not deep into the playoffs in your leagues. Also, maybe uh, helping you cash a few DFS tickets as well. So the guy put up 21 and a half fantasy points per game during that stretch. And you saw with the connection that him and Devontae Parker had, and, and this year they've they've gotten improved. They got an improved defense, and you know they don't really have much else on offense. And and you know even if Ryan Fitzpatrick can run around, scramble, and chuck it downfield for the first month or two months of the season, that could be enough to get you a couple wins under your belt, and and, and wins under your belt. And he's another guy that's not being taken until like the far, far end of fantasy drafts. So he's another late round flyer who I think even if Tua does get in there, uh, I don't know. I've got my reservations about Tua's hip, and I don't think they're bringing him back unless he's like 110% healthy. So just on that opportunity alone, I like Fitzpatrick as a late round dart throw, uh, late round value in fantasy drafts.
0: Right now I have Fitzpatrick at 25, which – I think it's just because of, you know, overall what he's done in this league is just like that. that's kind of just where he fits. Here's a concern that I have for Fitzpatrick, and then I'll give you, you know, some positive. The concern is that if you go back to when Tua was on Alabama, when he played with Jalen Hurts, and you saw those two quarterbacks on the football field, there was a glaring difference in talent. Like you just like you were like, dude, that like who's this guy? Like holy shit, this guy's good. Like, no wonder, you know, that, that you know, they brought him in when they brought him in in that championship game. And it was like, all right, dude, like there's a talent gap here. And if you've been watching any of the the practices, and I get all of what you're saying where it's like, he was injured, uh, you know, there's no training camp. And he's, you know, he's not going to start, at least, you know, unless something crazy happens here. He's going to be behind the eight ball, and I get that part. But when you put that kid on the field against a quarterback who – you know, it's, it's not a Lamar Jackson. It's not a Mahomes. You're, you're talking a Fitzpatrick. The talent gap is going to, it's going to show and it's going to be like, all right, this dude's a professional quarterback who's been in the league for a number of years. And this kid hasn't had any training camp. This kid's been hurt and you're looking at it with your own two eyes going, this dude's going to be really good. And he's going to, and he's already better than this guy. Unfortunately he probably doesn't know a whole lot of the playbook, etc. I think that's only going to speed up the process is because eventually, and look, Pete Carroll did that with Russell Wilson. He's like, I don't give it. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I'm starting this kid. And people are like, what? You're going to start him? Da, 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 da. Sure enough, it was like, you know, you just know that, that there's talent there. And Andy Reid knew that Mahomes was talented. You you see it. And we don't – we're not seeing it right now. But I, my gut feeling says that, you know, and I saw it in Alabama. that, that He's just too damn talented of a quarterback that it's not going to show up in practice where it's like, there's like, we got to get this kid out there as soon as possible. Now, look, Miami, they they kind of have that, they kind of had that, that Cleveland Browns kind of funk to them where it's, you know, the same old, same old, seven and nine, six and 10, eight and eight on a good season. And it was like, eventually they have to move on from that. And there's a lot of optimism around this team and the optimism it's not surrounded around Fitzpatrick, and it's really not surrounded around you know the entire team. It's surrounded around Tua and a lot of the pieces that they brought in, and that optimism is not even going to get a chance unless Tua is on the field. So, I know I'm talking a lot about Tua, and obviously you can't you can't really take him, but I think it's more of Fitzpatrick's going to have his spots, and it's going to be early, but just don't be surprised if Fitzpatrick goes out there and has one of those goofy games like he had in the past, because look, he played and then he got yanked for Winston. It was like, they're rotating quarterbacks because they're just out there throwing the ball to the other team way too much and losing games. And I, I could see a similar situation happen in Miami where they're just like, we just got to get this guy in there. He's just too damn good. He's better than the guy. He's better than Fitzpatrick. So it's not that I'm against them. I think Fitzpatrick will have his weeks when he's out there, but He's just a guy that I don't think he, I don't think he gets past like week four, week five.
1: Yeah, 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 and and you bring up a lot of good points with that. And my my only saying is that with like a with a late round quarterback fly, you're taking if you're taking him, you're taking him with the chance of starting him in week one. And in a normal situation, I would say, oh, week one at New England, that's a terrible matchup. But you look at all the defensive starters that New England lost due to COVID. And, and they're pretty behind the eight ball there, and, and their defense towards the, towards the end of last season wasn't looking so great either, so that could actually be a halfway decent matchup for the Dolphins there. I don't think it's a scary matchup, one you just shy away from in fantasy purposes for all intents in, in that case, but you look at week two, now that in week two they're playing one of the best defenses in the league, in my opinion, in the Buffalo Bills, so... You keep your you keep your ear to the ground, and what are they? What are the beat writers at Dolphins training camp saying about Tua and how he's looking? You know how how are his reps looking in practice? How has how he recovered from his surgery and his injuries? And I, I think you really play close attention to that, and you and you look for those spots in the season. Sleepy, like you said, he can wind up playing. Uh, Fitzpatrick could wind up starting week two against the Bills and winds up throwing four picks in the first half. They're down twenty eight nothing at halftime. And all of a sudden you see Tua warming up and getting in the game. And then he's a starter for the rest of the season. So in that case, I I think that, yeah, absolutely. If if Fitzpatrick comes out, plays a little poorly or average or below average in week one, and and then they have a really tough matchup the following week, and plus you know Tua is healthy on top of that, then stash him on your team for that week on the waivers. Because you know if you wait for him to actually get into a game, He's gonna be like first priority pick off the waivers. You might have to blow your free agent budget on him. You might not be there in the waiver order in order to put a claim out for him in the first place. So um I agree. I think the, the upside for Tua is there, and I would love to have him on my team if he's starting because of the of the athleticism and rushing upside he provides. So I, I think I am actually in agreement with you on this one. Is like my only thought is like, hey, you take Fitzpatrick in the last round of your draft. And maybe you could start him for two weeks, but now that I look at the schedule, when I look at the schedule and I see Week Two against the Bills, I'm not starting Fitzpatrick in Week Two against the Bills. And then if he plays poorly and winds up losing the job that early, the next week the Dolphins have the Jaguars. So I know my narrative's getting a little bit too, you know, far down the road right now, but you know that could be a perfect spot for a rookie quarterback in two to start is against a, a bad Jaguars defense. So. You look at those possibilities there, and it personally makes me hire that if I'm taking a quarterback and my starting quarterback in a certain round of the draft, then maybe I take two off the board with my last pick if I have a deep roster and I'm able to roster two quarterbacks just in the off chance by after week two or by week two, he could be starting. So really pay attention to what the beat writers are saying. Is he healthy enough to get in there when the opportunity presents itself? And, and I'd be willing to jump on that if that was the case.
0: You know, I think there's a perfect opportunity for me to go ahead and talk about something that more than likely, probably nobody's thought about, and this is kind of like the deepest thinking that I do sometimes. And I think this is a good team to probably bring this up. We're not going to have any fans in, in in the in the crowd this year, I've, I've probably at any of these games. Now, your di- most diehard fans are usually the guys that are, you know, spending the money on the tickets. And generally, they're probably the quietest fans when the game's over, especially when it comes to a bad team. They're going to go home. They're going to hang their heads. They're not going to want to talk about the Dolphins. They're not going to want to talk to their girlfriend. They're just going to want to be left alone and go to bed and whatever the case might be. They're not going to be in the stadium. There's not going to be 60,000 crazed, diehard fans in that stadium. They're going to be at home watching the game on TV. They're going to be on Twitter and they're gonna be barking and screaming and yelling. And right now with the way that people are, you know, adapting and you know, going ahead and conforming to, you know, anything that has to do with a public outcry, if the Dolphins have fifty thousand screaming nut job diehard fans on Twitter saying, Get Fitzpatrick out of there, get him out of there, and they just keep pounding and pounding and pounding, he won't last very long. And neither will a guy like Tyrod Taylor and neither will any quarterback out there that really craps the bed. This is going to be a year in which you don't want to be quarterback that is, you know, on the teeter totter of, you know, potentially not being a starter. This is not the year you want to go and you want to have a bad couple of weeks, you know, start out this season, because I'll tell you what, you're going to hear it on Twitter. Facebook, wherever, they're going to be riding you and they're going to be starting petitions. Did you guys see tonight? There was a uh, a Lakers petition that was started to get Danny Green and Caldwell Pope off the team. Like this is where we're at right now with social media. So this is why I, I just, you know, I'm just thinking, I'm like, I'm trying to caution myself where, you know, just be careful with some of these guys who potentially could lose their jobs in you know, a couple of weeks. It could be very, very short. It could be a week, especially on you know coaches who might have a short lease. So that's just something that I'm thinking about, and I think this team falls right into you know with that line of thinking.
1: Yeah, I, that's that's a that's a great point that you bring up, and that just goes back to you know when when you're looking at these guys. In my opinion, when it come when we we had a long discussion about quarterbacks here for this podcast is. I, I look at it two ways. And when it comes to drafting your quarterback for season long is you're either taking one of the top six guys or, you know, maybe one of the top seven, eight, if you want to throw a Matt Ryan or a Matthew Stafford in there, I, I get it. Most people are a little bit higher on those guys and, and and I'm high on them too. If they fall and, and they present the right value, but I'm not going out of my way to draft them. If I'm not getting one of those top six, you know, Lamar, Mahomes, um, Deshaun, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and um, who are we talking about here? Who, who am I forgetting? Um, Dak Prescott. And if I'm not getting one of those top six, I, I re- really want to try to be patient and wait until these final rounds. And you really want to look at the schedule. You don't want to draft. Look, Baker Mayfield might have a great bounce back year, but you don't want to start in week one against the Ravens, right? You don't want to start Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though he could have a lot of upside. I don't still don't know if you want to start in week one against New England, even though he had a, had a good performance against them in week 17 last season. Um, you know, you do want to start a Tyrod Taylor against the Bengals poorest defense, right? You you might even want to take a stab at a Phillip rivers playing against the Jaguars defense in week one. So I think you really, if you're not keeping one of those top six, seven guys for the season, and maybe you want to throw Josh Allen in there, even though he has a really difficult second half of the season uh, schedule for the bills. But, Um, you really want to wait, and you want to wait and be smart about it and and take that week one matchup. And if you want to cut your guy after his week, he blows up for 30 points, and you cut him that following Monday or Tuesday and pick up someone else's stream, I got no qualms about that because that gives you roster flexibility, and that really allows you to play the upside from week to week and and almost mirror what you're doing in DFS and have at least half of that strategy be applied to your season-long fantasy as well. So um, that's how I like to do it. Man, like I told you, most weeks on a Monday or Tuesday, I'll drop my defense and my kicker just to give myself two extra waiver spots to play around with, especially this year with COVID going on and and people potentially, um, you know, missing a week or weeks because of having to quarantine, you really want to use those extra roster spots to your advantage. So the second you see that tweet pop up of, oh, Miles Sanders has to quarantine for two weeks and you know Boston Scott is available on the waivers for some reason or, or a different example where the backup might not be uh rostered by another teammate or league mate of yours that's when you really want to pounce and act on a, on that information so really keep re- keeping your uh your ears tuned to that news is, is going to be all the more important use every roster spot to your advantage and and really take that value when it presents itself in the draft and we'll get into more uh you know positions in different episodes that we do, but I think it's good that we kind of talked it out and, and kind of like using both perspectives to make the best decisions is, you know, like you said, sleepy, when it comes to props, using the fantasy information you have at hand. And uh, when I'm making my weekly fantasy rankings, I'm taking into account. What is the Vegas line? Do I want to take this guy? Does he really have a negative game strip coming his way for more fantasy upside? Well, well, his team's actually favored by by three. So maybe that narrative's a little bit overblown. So I'm paying attention to the bet, the betting market and I'm, I'm trying to have that influence me and my decision-making when it comes to my fantasy, my season-long, my DFS too. And I think the two really go hand in hand. And I think that's a great thing that we can provide to the readers. Like you said at the beginning here uh, for bettingpredators.com and the content that we, we're putting out now and, and will be putting out consistently throughout the season as well.
0: You know, and you brought up one of my favorite guys. As you said, Boston Scott. Now, obviously, he's a Philly guy, so um, I'm, I'm pretty in tune with you know what he does. But you know, that that's kind of the level that that w- that we can go to, where you know we know what those guys are capable of, and we we saw you know that guy last year actually play quite well. And it wouldn't be surprise me if if Sanders went down. It's like, oh, we're taking Boston Scott, and everybody's like, who? And it's like, just trust me. You know, this this guy. You know, he might get. 25 touches in this game because you know he he knows that team you know rather well. Um, I do want to talk about Joe Burrow. So before you go ahead and, and before you run away, I do want to talk about Burrow for a minute. Now I know he's going to be in in a tough division where you know Pittsburgh's defense is not going to be a picnic. You know the Ravens' defense isn't going to be a picnic, but that that Bengals defense is is, is quite bad. And I think if the fact that you got to go up against Lamar. That, that offense probably puts up a lot of points. I personally think that the Browns are going to put up a lot of points. And I think big Ben, you know, on offense will, will put up a lot of points. I could see, you know, a lot of people being like, ah, eh, defensively, that's such a tough division. Do you take that guy? But he might be trailing in a, in a lot of just the division games, let alone the other games. And I think that, you know, bringing in a, you know, an AJ green and a Mixon and, and a Taj Boyd, that there's a lot of talent there that, You know, right now I have him slated as my 16th best quarterback in the league when it comes to line value. I have him rated right around, I think, four, four and a half points. He's actually worth more to the line than than Drew Brees in my rankings right now, believe it or not. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on Burrow. Is he a guy that, you know, that, that you might look for in DFS or, or season long? How do you feel about him going into this
1: season? Yeah, well, that's where my uh, personal bias comes in, being a lifelong Bengals fan. So uh, shout out to Steve Fezik from pregame.com. I know he's a Bengals fan, too. There's not many out there these days. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it, and it's funny you bring up the Drew Brees thing because he, he's got to be probably really low on the ranks in terms of uh, player line value when uh, he's got Jameis Winston behind him and then Taysom Hill behind him, too, in the quarterback room. So I definitely agree with you in putting Burrow ahead of him in that regard. Uh, I, I think the – look, man, like Andy Dalton, I think he's one of the most overrated quarterbacks of our generation, man. And, and I know he's not even rated that high by the general consensus, but The guy's never been an above-average quarterback. I I don't care what season you look at it; he put up some some numbers in certain years, Um, but anytime he played in a primetime game or in a playoff game, he folded like a tent every single time. And it's not just a bitter Bengals fan talking to you right there. You you could go back and and watch the games or, or watch the highlights of the games and see for yourself. But I think Burrow, he's really given hope to Bengals fans just to have something to look forward to the, for the future. And it's been a long time, uh, you know, since we could say that, despite the horrible, you know, ownership by Mike Brown and the decisions being made in the front office there. So I, I think he, he he provides a lot of upside, man. The the thing that excites me the most about Burrow from a fantasy perspective is that he runs that he ran the ball a lot at LSU, and you know you could say, oh yeah, well he had all these weapons at LSU. He had C- Clyde Edwards Alaire. You know, he had uh, Justin Jefferson, and these are guys that are being taken super high in the draft this year. But he's entering a Bengals team that has a lot of talent as well. And he's got Joe Mixon back there, who's you know arguably one of the top backs in the league when he's healthy. You know, obviously, A.J. Green's had a lot of time off. I think he comes into the season relatively healthy as well. He's playing on a contract year. And then up-and-comers like a Tyler Boyd, um, I I think just with those weapons alone is going to be enough for Joe Burrow to – Play pretty well. and He's going to have his lumps here and there, but I think the anytime you give me the rushing floor upside, sign me up for that quarterback in fantasy because people want to make fun of Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was winning you fantasy weeks when he was starting at quarterback, even though he couldn't throw the ball a lick. You know, Complete 10 passes a game, I don't care. If you're running for like 40, 50 yards and maybe a rushing touchdown every other week or multiple rushing touchdowns in a week, you're easily making up for any lack of passing ability that you're going to have. But then you throw on the fact that Bengals aren't going to win many games. They're going to be playing from behind a lot. And he's got the weapons to, to put up those junk time statistics. Um, I think it points to a, a lot of factors that could make Joe Burrow easily top 15 in fantasy this year. And maybe with the right set of circumstances, push for a top 10 type of finish uh, for season long. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty high on Burrow in, in that regard. Uh, I always kind of like uh, not to jinx myself. I'll, I'll like always try not to take Bengals players when it comes to my season-long fantasy drafts because it's already a hassle enough having to root for them in real life. Uh, it's it's it makes it doubly worse when they shit the bed in in, uh, in fantasy and real life in the same week. So uh, he's he's the one guy that, that that I might be willing to draft him and Mixon maybe are, are two guys I'd look at w- w- if the value presents itself in a certain round of the draft.
0: I certainly think that the. You know, the coaching change there, and I think it'll be a culture change for them. is is certainly going to help that team, you know, throughout the next couple of years. And no matter who's on that team, I think Burrow, you know, will will benefit from having, you know, high, high-end talent, you know, on this team right now. It's going to help him grow, you know, throughout his career. You know, he's going to be like, oh, I played with, you know, these guys that can do. I mean, there's guys that, that can't do what A.J. Green does. And, you know, I've even heard, you know, I have some connections that actually – um, are are really close to people within that Bengals organization that that say that that Taj Boyd is, is better than than AJ Green ever was in his career. Like the, that kid is that good, and he's gonna have a, a major breakout season this year. So I, there's there's just a lot of talent that surrounds him, um, and I think I think he'll be all right. I I would just curious, you know, like what you thought about him overall, because. Obviously, being the number one draft pick, there's going to be a lot of people that are curious, you know, on on what we think about, you know, the number one draft pick coming out.
1: He's going to have plenty of opportunity, and, and Tyler Boyd for sure is is a really talent, a uh, really talented wide receiver and one of the more underrated receivers in the league. He's a better version of Justin Jefferson, who was basically you know Burrow's number one target last year. So I think that he's got no shortage of weapons on offense, and and, and I'd be curious just as we wrap here, like what are your thoughts? Cause I have heard a lot from uh, a few of the other pregame.com guys uh, from RJ about Zach Taylor being like hands down the worst coach in the league. And I don't really know how to handicap like a new coach like that. That's so young. Like what va- value does he bring or, or take out of a team in that sense? But I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on the culture change. That's the most, ex- that's the thing I'm most excited about as a fan and as a fantasy owner, the only thing that scares me a little bit is the fact that, yeah, Burrow's already older than like a lot of starting quarterbacks in the league already because, you know, he he stayed extra time in college. Uh, you add that to the fact that like the year before, even though he won the Heisman, the year before he won the Heisman, he really wasn't all that good. So, you know, how did this guy just turn it on like out of nowhere? Uh, I'm, I'm willing to be on the glass half full side and just be like, oh, maybe he's just a late bloomer. And things click. You know, you look at Damian Lillard, like things click for him later in his career than it did for most. So when it comes to basketball, but um, I am just interested to see like, what you think about Zach Taylor's impact on Burrow. Do you think that could have a negative impact uh, or do you, or are you kind of just going to wait and see how that plays out? I think it'll probably have a positive impact. The fact that, you know, he,
0: he knows quarterbacks, he knows how to work with them. I look at, at coaches who come from, a really successful organization and then go to an organization that's not that good. And it's like a lot of people look down on that, but you have to ask yourself because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when he, you know, throughout the next couple of years or whatever, or even just this year in general, like, you know, does he have the keys to the Mercedes? Is this a, you know, is this a four year plan? Like we've seen it, like take John Gruden, for instance, if Gruden, you know, didn't sign some crazy 10 year contract, you know, he might not even be the coach right now. So you have to ask yourself, you know, is there wiggle room for this guy to go ahead and improve? And you have to, you know, wonder, you know, like what was he able to do, you know, when he was with Nebraska and when he was with the Rams, They're like, you know, are there, you know, handcuffs on a guy like that? You know, you don't know, but now that he, that he has the capability to be, you know, a, a head coach and to go ahead and just say, you know, like, it's your show, dude, you got, you know, you got four years to do whatever you need to do. Well, then, you know, that's that's a situation, a circumstance that, you know, we probably don't all have the answer to. But, you know, thinking that he's probably the worst coach in the league, I don't know. I mean, they got rid of some really bad coaches <laughs> over the last year. Um, I mean, Bill O'Brien would be the guy that that I would say might be the worst coach right now. He's got to be down there. So I would give Taylor the benefit of the doubt that he's going into a decent situation with at least a quarterback that, you know, is at least calm. I mean, do, do you want a, a guy that's super skittish that might be hard to coach? I don't think Burrow is that kind of a guy. I don't think he's hard to coach. You know, you have an A.J. Green, you have Mixon. I mean, you have players out there that can bail you out and that can, you know, help you develop yourself into, you know, maybe a better head coach. So. I, I would kind of disagree, but I understand where you know a lot of people are coming from from him. But you know, again, I would I would wait and see. You know, I don't know how short the leash is going to be on that guy. But if it's a if it's a situation where he has a couple of years to go ahead and prove himself, you know, he might actually surprise somebody. So that's kind of what I. Think of it.
1: Well, I'm glad. I'm glad to yeah. I'm glad to hear that from you because I was getting a little scared about that there. But I, I do agree. Him being the the quarterbacks coach with Sean McVay. And having Burrow come in and be the centerpiece of that team, I, I do I do like the potential there. And it's just we we want we want things to be like looking up for Bengals fans. Like we had Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton stuck there for so long. We went to the playoffs five times, never won a game. And you know, even though we were favoring a couple of them, so I'm just so I'm so ready to move on. I, I almost boycotted them as a fan just until they fired Marvin Lewis and until they got rid of Andy Dalton. Honestly, I thought they should have gotten rid of Andy Dalton first. Uh, as opposed to firing marvin lewis but but sleepy man I, I got i got my rudy johnson jersey in the closet ready to bust it bust it out and get back on the Bengals bandwagon this year man i got my chad johnson jersey too so uh trust me, man i said the, the I, i'm i'm ready to root for the Bengals again man it's been, it's been way too long since, since we've had something to cheer about for those guys
0: it's funny because my aunt is a diehard Bengals fan And you got like she you can't even be around her. And it's been hard to be around her, Um, even talking football. Like she literally just does not even want to talk about the Bengals. But she loves them and she'll watch every game. She knows every player. She knows all the stats. Like she knows like she's a diehard Bengal fan. And, you know, unfortunately for you and my aunt at the time, like, you know, the Bengals had a Super Bowl team. They had two years. They did. In two years, they had a team for two years that they should have probably made the Super Bowl, and they just didn't. I mean, a lot and a lot of it goes back to, you know, with what you said about Dalton, that he just – he wasn't an above-average quarterback, which that's what you needed. But, uh, yeah, I think they'll be a half-decent team. They're going to be a fun watch for sure. I mean, I like watching – you know, if the Dolphins are going to be a fun watch this year and, and the Bengals are going to be a fun watch this year – you know, it just makes for a better league when you have teams who, you know, were kind of down in the dumps. It was like, oh, we got our new, our new blood, our new quarterback. So um, that'll be interesting.
1: Yeah, man. You, you just you just brought up some tough memories for me too. So unfortunately, we're gonna have to end this podcast on a sad note, but uh you're you're absolutely right, man. Carson Palmer, before he tore his ACL, he was like literally a top three quarterback in the league. It was it was Brady, Manning, and then Palmer. Like it, he was that good. And they were, they, they were set to, like, route the Steelers in that wild card weekend game. And literally, Carson Palmer, what, first pass or, like, second pass of the game, drops back and just connects deep with Chris Henry, RIP Chris Henry, for, like, a 70-yard bomb downfield. And then the camera pans back, and Kimo Van Olfen tore, his, tore Carson Palmer's ACL. And, and it's over after that. And like that, that was like we could have gone to the Super Bowl that year. The Steelers wound up winning that game and winning the Super Bowl that year. So who knows what could have happened, man. We had the squad back then with Hushman Zada, with Chad Johnson, Rudy Johnson, man, one of my favorite players of all time, the, the slippery running back back there. I love that guy. Um but yeah it's 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 about time we got back to some optimism for for Cincinnati fans and I I'm I'm feeling pretty good right now even if we just win 6 or 7 games I'll be good with that
0: It's funny cuz I that you now you're mentioning all the players and yeah that was a team that was just stacked and I think actually one of my first podcasts ever for pregame so we got to go back a number of years ago I know for a fact I gave out the Bengals either the first year I did podcast and then I turned around and gave them out again the second year I was like, cause I was really high on Cincy, but uh, we'll see how everything works out this year, but at least you got something to root for something. Like you got to go into the season going, Oh, that's great. We're going to be two and 12. Well, you know, maybe they will be two and 12, but at least you have a, you know, a reason to go ahead and root for root for the team. Cause I, I think they will be much better, you know, served with, you know, Joe Burrow as quarterback and at least getting a new head coach in there, I think will help them one way or another. That'll wrap up our quarterback segment of the fantasy stuff. As you guys could tell, Chris has a you know a lot of knowledge, and unfortunately, you know we could probably sit here and go through every quarterback and talk for four hours. But again, like this is you know more or less for for season long stuff, and we certainly will go ahead and talk DFS each and every week. And then you guys obviously you, you can see where his level of of intelligence is at with with all these players. You guys are going to be able to go ahead and start making bets. You know where where that you guys want to go ahead and, and bet those player props and things like that. So. Uh, This isn't the last time you hear from Chris. You're going to hear him when we talk about the running backs here soon. We're going to talk about the wide receivers, tight ends. We'll also talk some kickers and some defense. So you guys will get the the full gambit from Chris and myself when it comes to the player prop stuff. And as Chris had mentioned earlier on in the beginning of this podcast, you know, we're probably going to end up having the Hitman join us because he is like, you know, one of the prop kings in this industry. And I think you guys are going to end up being like, you guys would be pretty happy at the end of the year. And week after week with the results. But with that said, I'm Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter, Sleepy J underscore pregame. That is Chris Dell, the fantasy guru. You guys can find him on Twitter as well at Mad Journalist. And you can get us on bettingpredators.com. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games.